Welcome to Hence the Future podcast. I'm Matamor Cronin. And I'm Brett Ewer. And today we are sharing our predictions for the 2020 U.S. presidential election. So, Brett, this is your 10th episode of Hence the Future. Can you believe it? No, I've, I've been waiting for my, uh, my share of equity or something. <laughs> I, I don't know. I mean, you know, I've just been holding on. Um, but that's all right. I'll wait for the mail. Yeah, must be in the mail. <laughs> Uh, so for our listeners, Brett has been on many episodes of Hence the Future. Whenever we have a political topic, we bring him on. And I'll be the first to admit, he has a better track record with predictions in politics than I do. So if you, I was just looking at our past episodes, and Brett was a strong predictor of Biden being the Democratic nominee. He also predicted Kamala as being the VP. He predicted that the impeachment would fizzle out. He predicted that Bloomberg would fizzle out, even when I thought Bloomberg had a pretty good chance. So, Brett, thanks for coming on to share your predictions for this monumental occasion, the 2020 election. Matt, anytime. And, you know, (laughs) if you ever want to give me a plug for, like, consulting services or not, (laughs) I'm messing with you. you. Um, But no, I'm, I'm looking forward to this one. Awesome. So I want to go through a few different prediction models and then see what that says as far as who's likely to win the election. So the first prediction model I want to discuss is what's called the 13 keys to the White House. And this model has successfully predicted every presidential winner since the 1980s. The only exception to that is with uh, Bush v. Gore. It predicted that Al Gore would win, and that was a controversial election. It came down to ballot counting in Florida. So with that one exception, this model has predicted every presidential winner since the 80s. So let's start there. And basically the way it works is we ask 13 questions, and based on how many of them are true or false, that will determine who's likely to win. So I'll ask the 13 questions, and Brad, if you could just say whether it's true or false, as far as, as, far as you can deduce, uh, we'll go from there. Sound good? 100%. 100%. Awesome. So the first question is on party mandate. After the midterm elections, the incumbent party holds more seats in the U.S. House of Representatives than after the previous midterm, midterm elections. True or false? And. And this is the incumbent party for the president. Right. So they're all questions about the incumbent party, about whether the incumbent party will win or not. So the first question is, are there more U.S. House seats for Republicans now than there were before? No. So that's false. No. Okay. false. There is there have been just a little color commentary. There is there have been like record resignations from the Republican Party. yeah, there was a pretty big even, blue wave in 2018. Yeah, and, you know, especially in my eye is always drawn to Texas, where, like, the state is fairly controlled by, on the state level, is controlled by the Republican Party. And you had a lot of, like, really senior congressmen, like, especially outside of Houston, which is pretty safe, um, start to start to resign or announce that they weren't going to run for re-election. So that's, that's a really good indicator. Yeah. Let's go to number two, contest. There is no serious contest for the incumbent party nomination. True or false? True. True, yeah. Number three, incumbency. The incumbent party candidate is the sitting president. True or false? It's, it's a matter of definition, <laughs> but I think we got to go with true. Yeah. <laughs> All right, this one is, is relevant. Short-term economy. The economy is not 
in recession during the election campaign? Ooh. See, here's the thing. I was looking over these earlier. Spoiler, I prep I prep for these occasionally. <laughs> but um <laughs> but uh this is an interesting one because mm-hmm. President Trump often runs and plays up the idea that the stock market has done really well, um, which it largely has. I mean, it's recovered mostly from the dip, from the huge dip that happened in uh, late March and early early April of this year. But that has to be reconciled with the idea that so much of the economy is not measured by just you know the Dow Jones Industrial or the S&P mm-hmm. 500. So who really knows? I'm more inclined to say that He's not going to be able to satisfy um, the requirement that, you know, the short term, the economy um, is not in recession. I think it is. I think our general indicators of uh, economic health might be off. And I think he's playing off of those. Right. Yeah, I'm with you. I think if you asked a bunch of people on the streets whether they think we're in a recession or not, most people would say, yes, we are in a recession. It's almost it's almost a no brainer when you think about like. Like, like, like the, the high school version of what we learn about economics. It's like, yeah, the exchange of goods and services literally ground to a halt. So right. any other, any other metric, you know, no matter how institutional, no matter what you're getting from, you know, the Bureau of Labor Statistics or whatever. It's not as grounded in reality. Yeah. There are just fewer people in stores. I mean, what it, it's, you just have to look at look around you and see the reality of the situation. Um, so yeah, I don't think, uh, I think this is a big ding. All right. The next one is on the long-term economy, real per capita economic growth during the term equals or exceeds mean growth during the previous two terms. Basically has been, there been more economic growth in this term than the previous two terms. Uh, no, I mean, it's, this is an interesting one too, because the economic growth that was coming from the Obama presidency was at the bottom of a trough uh, from the Great Recession coming all the way up. And and I don't know personally whether uh, the economic growth between 2017 up till now has outpaced by, you know, percentage or whatever has outpaced um, those years from 2009 to 2016. Um, I'm going to go with a no on this one, really, just because, you know, the level of growth whether you want to chalk that up to, yeah, it was a recession. Of course, there's going to be growth after it if if there's a recovery. Um, no, I got to give this one a no. Okay, the next one is on third party. There is no significant third party or independent candidate. Do you consider Kanye significant? I was just about to bring him up. Uh, <laughs> I man, guess we'll see, anything... right? <laughs> no, he's not going to. I mean... I don't know. Uh, he's a great meme candidate, you know, as far as yeah, I'm concerned. I'm with you. It's it's false. There's no major move. I've never heard of a real person in real life saying they're going to vote for Kanye. No, no. Um, I did see some guy who was like a dweeb on, I think it was like College Jeopardy or something. This was really lame. I was watching Netflix and it was College Jeopardy. And there's this guy who was like, I would vote for Kanye. And it's like, okay, you're the first person who's ever said that. Um, you should be embarrassed to say that on national TV, but whatever. Yeah. All right, number seven, policy change. The incumbent administration affects major changes in national policy. True or false? It's true. Yeah. It's true. It's just, you know, here I have to question the the model because 
you can have a change that is big, but it can be polarizing. So, mm-hmm. you know, there was no big shift in legislation for immigration. There was no big immigration reform, but there were executive orders and there was a lot of administrative action taken around people trying to come into the country. And that drew a lot of controversy and ire. Um, so there, there have been major effects. Yeah, it's, it's a in, pretty in, big change from a globalist strategy to a more nationalist strategy under Trump. Yeah, and, and just in 2017, the, the tax code got rewritten. So, yeah. I mean, that's a pretty big one. Um, you know, even by traditional measures, if we're just talking about like, just like a big bill that gets through, right. that's one. Um, so, yeah, I say give it to him. Yeah, totally. Okay, uh, social unrest. There is no sustained social unrest during the term. True or false? <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, that's got to be a false for me. Yeah. I, <laughs> there's... We've had more social unrest definitely than the Obama years, I would say. Yeah, I mean, there, that's what I've seen define this entire year. Mm-hmm. Whether you're going back to, you know... You remember an impeachment happened earlier this year? <laughs> yeah, right. So, yeah. Um, but I mean, social unrest, even from, you know, in response to the shutdown orders and the shutdown mandates, you had people generally on the far right who were or the right uh, who were protesting against that or the mask mandates protesting that. Um, and then obviously, you know, the, the George Floyd killing mm-hmm. in May. Um, well, and there's protests right now in Pennsylvania. I saw they've had protests like every day for weeks it's uh so yeah Yeah, that's that's not that's not typical um okay scandal the incumbent administration is untainted by a major scandal true or false (laughs) (laughs) so false and i'm like listen i'm not one of those people that excuse me that says that focuses on the scandal rather than like just the horrible policy but like for goodness sakes yeah (laughs) it's like Put on more than a loincloth if you're going to try to cover, you know, cover things up. <laughs> like, for God's sakes. Um, yeah, it's just embarrassing on a national level. But yeah, scandals. False. Okay, foreign military failure. The incumbent administration suffers no major failure in foreign or military affairs. True or false? I guess true. I mean, I'm going to say this with the caveat that I don't, pay enough attention as I should, as anyone really should to foreign affairs. But the fact that you can't think of anything is probably a good indicator that there wasn't some major blunder. Probably. I mean, people were saying earlier in the year that assassinating uh, Qasem Soleimani would cause blowback with Iran. Remember that was earlier this year. Um, (laughs) I completely, you know, it just, but yeah, I think you're right. Um, The fact that we're not able to just come up with one like that. We should mm-hmm. probably say uh, that that's true. All right. Incumbent charisma. The incumbent party candidate is charismatic or a national hero. <laughs> Let's go with charismatic. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, I was about to say, like, does that always have to be a good thing? <laughs> like, no, I mean. I feel like that's the main thing Trump has going for him is his charisma, the pulse of, curse, of uh, personality. Yeah. Oh, entirely, entirely. I mean, that is, that's what propelled him early on. There's just a charisma and a willingness to buck established trends and to be able to just own it. Um, 
people really like that confidence, I suppose. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think you got to give him charisma. He is one of a kind. Mm-hmm. Um, but he's no pens. <laughs> <laughs> no yeah no 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 his face moves um but he uh man i just cracked myself up um but yeah no i mean he does have charisma yeah um can you say national hero no i mean maybe for like 20 per- maybe for like ben garrison <laughs> have you seen those cartoons oh yeah you know yeah I'm- where he's all buff yeah, where- and he's like a football player yeah <laughs> yeah he's like you know just massive yeah it's it's absurd it's absurd all right, let's go with challenger charisma. This is the last one. The challenging party ca- candidate is not charismatic or a national hero. See, I think that's false too because I think that I think Joe Biden actually is charismatic. And um, first of all, we're not even touching the VPs who do have a role right. in this, but I think Joe Biden actually is charismatic in a very um trying to be nice here. In a, in like, in a very, uh, he, he's a very particular brand. Anyone can do an impression of him because he just has his own particular character, right? Mm-hmm. It might be a little doddering and it might be a little, um, do you remember that speech that he gave where he talked about like a guy who was, he was like some guy that he called Esther at a pool and he was like, oh, with like the hairs on his leg and that, yeah. That, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was that. And he was like, yeah. And the guys would put a, uh, a razor blade and water to get it rusty. They like put it in a drum and they take a chain and he was just going off. And I mean, that's obviously not great <laughs> in terms of indicating mental, um, uh, acuity maybe. Uh, but, but we are talking about it now and <laughs> we can right. remember exactly and hear his voice in my head. Um, so I say you got to, I think this is a false. I think okay. Joe Biden actually is charismatic. So that's actually the only one I would disagree with you on where I think I do agree he has some charisma, but I think the fact that this election seems to be more of a referendum on Trump rather than like a real choice of do you like this guy or do you like that guy? And I think if you compare Biden to Obama, you know, it doesn't have nearly the same level of charisma. And even if you compare him to Trump, I think Trump just has a certain cult of personality that Biden doesn't have. But let's okay, let's tally up each one. So based on your model, there are seven false statements. And when six or more are false, the challenging party is predicted to win. So both of our models, even with that one difference between your 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 answers and my answers, say that Biden will win. But it's also worth stating that it's not like a huge blowout based on this model. It's like off by one or two. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, as much faith as you want to put in the model, right? Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah, a lot uh, of it is subjective. So, okay. So let's go to some more hard number models then that aren't as subjective, specifically the polls and the betting markets. The interesting thing is when you look at the betting markets, it actually gives a slimmer margin than in the polls. So the betting markets are less certain that Biden's going to win by a landslide than the polls. And typically, betting markets are more accurate because people actually have to put their money where their mouth is. Yeah, absolutely. I agree that I think the betting markets are a better indicator. And also, generally, just because I think that uh, national polling averages don't. I mean, if this were if we determine the presidency through a popular vote, yeah, it would make total sense. But we have Mm -hmm. an electoral college. And so, you know, it really does need to be done on a state by state level which is where it gets really interesting. And I don't have enough uh, 
polling expertise or, you know, to be able to parse it or tell anyone what it means. But, um, but, you know, I'll definitely try anyway. Um, <laughs> but, but, um, well, let's but yeah. focus on the betting markets then. And I want to get your reaction to something that I, th- I thought was interesting because I, I didn't predict this, but the betting markets are predicting less of a landslide for Biden than they were for Hillary. So I thought the betting markets would think that Biden would have a bigger landslide than Hillary, but it turns out that's not true. So I think it's like a 90% chance for Biden, 10% chance for Trump based on 538. They did all these simulations. So basically Trump has a 10% chance of winning. But when you go to the betting markets, Trump has a 41% chance of winning and Biden only has a 66% chance. So I thought that was really interesting. And I'm curious if you think it may be a closer election than most people are expecting. 100%. It's absolutely going to be a closer election than people are expecting. And it's because, um, you know, like we said you know, earlier, that you can't really take too much from a national polling average. But uh, it's ultimately going to come down to a few particular states. Like we know, we know where Massachusetts is going. That's mm-hmm. not a problem. We know where New York is going. Uh, I know pretty reliably probably where Wyoming is going. Um, but, you know, the question is, it's going to be focused on, uh, and this is no, you know, this is nothing new for, for listeners who follow politics even just a little bit, is that it's going to come down to swing states. So mm-hmm. places like Pennsylvania or now North Carolina, Florida, Ohio, Michigan, Wisconsin. Uh, and now, interestingly enough, other states are kind of creeping into the uh, swing state category so um, Arizona, for example, is now seen as a swing state. Mm-hmm. I don't really know if I fully buy that. Um, but, you know, that's where we have to focus. And and if there's anything that's that goes wrong with the vote counting there or if there are any aberrations or if there's any um, decisions by the legislature or by the courts, then who knows? I mean, that's a significant number of electors that are going to go one way or the other probably on a very thin margin. Right. I've heard a lot of people say that if Pennsylvania goes Trump, that could make Biden more of an underdog. The other interesting thing is that not all states count their votes at the same time. Some states have laws where you literally can't start counting any of the mail-in votes until Election Day. And so we're not going to see the results of a state like Pennsylvania for a couple of days, probably. But something like Florida, which has been counting, that's something where on Election Day, we are going to know if Florida is likely to go Trump or likely to go Biden. And it seems to me like there's a few scenarios that could play out. Obviously, there's the potential Biden landslide. There's a potential Trump landslide, although that seems less likely based on polls and betting markets. There's a close victory by Biden. There's a close victory by Trump, in which case he'd almost certainly declare he's the winner. Um, But I want to get your sense of, first of all, which of these scenarios do you think is, let's just start with the first one, a Biden landslide. What do you think will play out if on Election Day it looks like it's going to be a Biden landslide? Like Biden wins Florida. It's pretty much impossible for Trump to win if he doesn't get Florida. Maybe a couple other early indicators of states show, wow, there's massive support for Biden. It's looking like a blue wave. What is good? What is Trump going to say in that scenario? How's it going to play out in America? Yeah. So with a Biden landslide, I think that there would only be um, 
there would only be concession by President Trump if I think if the numbers are in the 300s or above in the Electoral mm. College. Can't squeak out a 270, you know. Um, every vote matters. Uh, I think if, you know, if the swing states really on the East Coast, uh, I think if those uh, were to go definitively one or the other, um, then, you know, you're going to have a, a corresponding response from the other person, which will probably be lawsuits, but, uh, but, but they are probably more likely to acknowledge that the opponent has won. So let's say, for example, that Biden wins Pennsylvania definitively, like he wins it on the, on the, um, just counting the votes of the voters who show up that mm -hmm. day, not even taking into account mail-in ballots. Uh, if he won there, if he won in North Carolina, if he won in Florida, if they put up a really strong showing in Georgia, maybe, uh, and, you know, if he somehow won Ohio, and then probably, you know, I, I think that would be enough um, for people to be, for, for President Trump's supporters to be maybe not comfortable or like the idea, but to understand the inevitability of his win right. if those states were if those states were to you know roll that way um there is something fortunate in this that you know apart from the mail-in ballot just complete chaos um that's going to unfold there all of the states that are really going to be contested are going to be uh mostly um east of the mississippi i think and that's where most of the swing states really are i mean mm -hmm. no one you know i said earlier arizona might be a swing state I still don't buy it. And I don't, I still don't buy that Texas is going to flip. Um, who knows? Maybe as a, I don't know, maybe I'll have to eat my hat on that one. That's my um, big outside prediction, by the way, is that Texas mm -hmm. will flip. Uh, that's like, the, I, I always like to have one prediction that's way like kind of out there, <laughs> but okay, so, I might be okay, wrong. So before your entire audience, what do you want to bet on that? Well, I already bet it on, <laughs> on predicted a hundred bucks. So I get a pretty nice payout if it's correct. Here, I just Ooh. I just sent my electoral map so we can see how it compares to yours. But essentially, I went with the betting market for most of the states. I think Florida is going to stay red. Georgia is going to stay red. Uh, I think Texas is going to go blue only because it seems like that has been the demographic, the demographic trend for a while now. And they've also fought so hard to prevent the drive-in ballots from being counted. And the other factor yeah. is that there is so many mail-in votes for this election compared to any past election. So there's already been 90 million ballots cast before even election day. And that's more than two thirds of total ballots counted in all of the 2016 election. So it's quite possible that Trump could have, you know, Trump's supporters could have major turnout on election day and they could make up all of their lost time because we're in such a politically charged environment that just like it seems more important than ever for people who are on the left to go out and vote, it may be a similar case for people on the right where there's this huge red wave on election day. But I, I don't know, to me, like just looking at all the data and, and my own experience, I think it is going to be more of a blue wave. I don't think it's going to be like a, a huge like landslide, but I think we're going to see some surprising states turn blue that we might not. And I'm just picking Texas as the one that I think will be that surprising blue flip. Yeah, it's entirely possible. I would probably go with Arizona before that, really. Mm. Um, but I'm sorry, I'm going to share mine in just a second. Yeah. Um, but, you know, to summarize it really is... Uh, 
I think um, I think Pennsylvania is going to go red. Uh, I think Florida is going to go red. And I think that the map is going to be a lot tighter. Yeah, so our main difference is that you think Pennsylvania is going to go red. I think it'll go blue. You think Texas will go red. I think it'll go blue. So you still have Biden winning, but it's only it's a smaller margin. It's 276 Biden versus 262 Trump. I think it's going to be a bigger margin. I think it's going to be I mean, if Texas flips, it's 343 Biden, 195 Trump. But obviously, if Texas doesn't flip, it's not nearly as as wide of a margin. Um, Let me ask you this. If it is a sizable margin, like let's say Biden gets in the 300s of how many electors, do you think Trump will concede gracefully? Will he still say it's rigged? You know, people like Bill Maher have said that he may refuse to leave office and just say it was rigged. I tend to think that's maybe a little extreme, but it's also hard for me to to imagine him gracefully conceding and, and not saying it was rigged. So I, I want to get your sense of what you think his response is going to be if it is a Biden landslide. You know, if it's a Biden landslide, I think he might um, he might actually just, you know, he doesn't do anything gracefully. So I really can't <laughs> say that he's graceful. He kind of reminds me of like the hippos and Fantasia. You know how he stands is like very forward. Yeah, yeah. No, okay, yeah. He's, he reminds me of the the ballet hippos in Fantasia. Um, but no, I I think that the way he might be able to sort of play it off is like, hey, uh, I you know, uh, this is an act of the deep state against me. They're maybe too powerful to counter right now, but it's on you to make sure that you know my successor uh, that my successor in twenty twenty four. Mm-hmm. Um, gets back in. And actually, that gives him a lot of power. One, it saves space because he he doesn't cause a constitutional crisis. He doesn't cause a, a passive coup um, or an active coup. He doesn't cause a coup. He doesn't cause a constitutional crisis. He does stick to his main narrative. Mm-hmm. Um, it does show that he's a little weak to his supporters. Like, you aren't going to challenge this. You're the president. You're the most powerful person in the world. Um, but he might be able to still have uh, supporters still follow him after that. I don't know. Maybe he gets a good cable news gig or he starts a, um, he starts his own network and then he becomes just as influential. Um, he doesn't have mm-hmm. to deal with policy. He can literally hold the equivalent of like a digital rally just every day. Uh, it's like the new Rush Limbaugh. Sort of... Yeah, exactly. Or even Fox News, like a whole network. Exactly. And he um, and then he from there ends up being uh, the power broker of a sizable wing of the party uh, of the Republican Party. And he exerts his influence that way. And that's how he gets money. And that's how he saves space. And that would be incredibly strange. (laughs) I mean, don't get don't you know, don't get me wrong. Having uh, I don't think like what have ex-presidents done in recent history? Okay, George H.W. Bush was old i don't know he just went off into the sunset george w bush paints dogs uh barack obama like i don't know does like netflix shows and yeah and uh jimmy carter like builds houses and ronald reagan kind of withered away so you know it would be completely unprecedented for him to go into media after that well i guess not obama's producing netflix you know Mm -hmm. shows but uh but i think that's that's probably the way that that he goes out if there's a landslide. 
Yeah, that sounds right to me. He's never going to fully concede, but at the same time, I don't think he's going to stage a coup or refuse to leave the White House. Like that seems always seems a little ridiculous when people say that. Uh, okay, let's go to a different scenario where, as unlikely as it seems, what if there's a Trump landslide? What if we have a repeat of 2016 where, yeah, Biden crushed the popular vote, but turns out, you know, enough electors went with Trump that. Trump wins by a sizable margin, doesn't look that close. What do you think the response would be? I mean, obviously, Trump would declare victory. What would this response be from the left and from potential protesters? Do you see that as being a less peaceful transition, maybe, than, than if there's a landslide on Biden's side? What, what are your thoughts? I don't think it would be like less peaceful. I mean, I think there would be demonstrations and maybe some civil unrest. But what I think politically would happen is that the Democratic Party would continue a trend in 2018, there was a little bit more play towards centrists, like you had a lot more conservative Democrats or maybe blue dogs um, win uh, you know, contested <clears throat> contested House seats. And you had kind of the progressive wing kind of took a, a, a back seat. I mean, they're very loud and they, you know, extract um, some concessions. But I think more ex- concessions were extracted from uh, or um the more conservative faction of the Democratic Party was able to wield a little bit more muscle because they said, hey, you know, you ignored a lot of middle America where people voted for Trump and we have a, you know, we have a better, we have our fingers on the pulse of this here. So I think they will probably be a little bit more emboldened. No matter what, um, if he were to win, even in a landslide, there would be talk of foreign election interference Mm-hmm. Um, like, I don't know if you if, you know, there was a story, I think, a week or two ago from John Ratcliffe. He's an intelligence um, agency head who came out and said, yeah, hey, um, we think that Iranian or Russian uh, advanced persistent threat groups put out these emails claiming to be Proud Boys, intimidating people who are going to go vote Democrat. So that's probably going to get latched on to there's going to be even more, you know, the idea of Russiagate might take on more breath. Um, I don't know if there's really evidence to suggest that. I, I just haven't looked into it enough, and I'm generally skeptical of large, sweeping narrative explanations to social phenomenon. So, uh, so that's what I think will happen if there were a landslide. There will be intense confusion, <laughs> I think, um, you know, among the among the sort of beltway class and generally hate the phrase coastal elites, but people that live on the coasts will probably be kind of confused. Yeah, I think uh, antidepressant sales will go way up. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. I will buy uh, alcohol stocks <laughs> before. Um, well, let's yeah. let's go to the other scenarios where let's say Biden wins by a slim margin. So it's not like Trump can really declare victory on Election Day because Biden is in the lead. But it's close. What do you think is going to happen then? It's interesting. I mean, if it's a slim margin, <clears throat> either by the popular vote or the Electoral College, the Electoral College being the only important one, um, at least you know for now, um, I think what will happen is there will be the standard allegations of voter fraud from the Republican Party, more of the right wing. There's going to be talk about ballots being thrown away. That's a story that uh, President Trump um was circulating. I, I don't know if do you remember this? He was talking about how like some postal service. Oh, there guy, was like a bag of ballots found in the river, and they were all said Trump. Yeah, 
sounded like yeah, a planted <laughs> story. Yeah, but 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 all you need, all that needs to happen is for there to be some kind of rumors, substantiated or not, that then get reported in right wing media, and then they filter their way to the center until there's until it's close enough for President Trump to be able to say, "Hey, what about this news story where you know uh, all these." Republican Party voters were disenfranchised. So if Biden won by a slim margin, those stories would definitely blow up. Um, the president would latch onto it, and then people will say that they'll contest it, and there will be even more scrutiny uh, given to the inevitable, inevitable um, court cases that are going to happen on the counting of ballots in swing states. If there's one thing to take away from this, this um, pre-election kind of you know, discussion, it's, there are going to be court cases, no matter what, that's the one definite I can give. So how long could it take until we actually know, like, how long could this uh, go on for? Well, the, the timeline for a new president is in the Constitution. So they have to be sworn in on a certain uh, date, I think it's like a certain, I think the Constitution says like a certain week, or maybe, um, but electors have to meet in the middle of December. And so obviously the courts are going to give any um, motions <clears throat> around voting, they're going to give them precedence, right? <laughs> I love to imagine just like some appellate court judge or clerk or whatever, like noodling over some stupid civil case about like trains or something while this is all happening. Um, I just really like trains. I don't know. Um, <clears throat> but, uh, but yeah, those are going to be given precedence. And I think people in the courts are going to be working around the clock. And, you know, I know that, the Biden campaign already has like 600 elector, election lawyers just on retainer, able to just at a snap um, <clears throat> file the motions. I mean, if I were there, if I were a lawyer or if I were uh, involved with any of this, I would already have the motions pre-written and then just fill in the fact pattern, you know, whatever, fill in like the two paragraphs that you need to describe of like what's actually happening on the ground and then be able to immediately deploy that. Um it's going to have to be decided quickly. I mean, I think the only template that we have for this in recent history is Bush v. Gore. Unfortunately, that was, I think, just I think it was just Broward County um, in Florida. And and that I mean, that that was decided fairly quickly. So let's talk about that, because that seems relevant for the other scenario. The last one we haven't discussed, which is let's say Trump wins by a slim margin but as the mail-in ballots get counted, all of a sudden Biden's catching up. Maybe it's looking like Biden's going to win. To me, that is the most similar scenario to what happened in 2000 with Bush v. Gore, where Gore uh, didn't win Florida and it came down. It was really close. I think it came down to like a couple hundred votes. So they motioned to recount the ballots by hand. And it turns out that a lot of the ballots had hanging chads, which is basically when you like hole punch in if it's not fully punched through or uh well maybe you can explain better Dim it, no it's 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 called a dimpled chad a oh, dimpled that chad the, uh, yeah which is which sounds like some sort of like shit post on twitter but <laughs> yeah yeah dimpled chad sounds like something like someone on 4chan would say right, right? like oh, he's such a you know he's a he, you know he's a chad with like nice dimples i don't know um <clears throat> but basically what uh, happened is they were going to recount all of these ballots and it looked like Gore may pick up enough to actually win the state. But then the right was saying, well, how do you know that these people really wanted to vote 
that way. Maybe they were going to vote, but then they changed their mind at the last second. So then you had all of these protesters basically storming the place where they were doing the recount by hand. And then Gore had enough pressure where everyone called him a Gore, you know, Gore loser, like he's a sore yeah. loser. And there was enough social pressure where he just conceded threw his hat in and said, you know, for basically for the good of the country, I'm going to concede. Yeah, I don't I, I don't think that's going to happen this time. I don't think I don't think Biden or Trump would concede on those grounds. I, I don't think that there's enough social pressure for like national unity that way. Or mm-hmm. maybe there is, but neither side is going to be susceptible to giving into the other. Um and it's interesting that you mentioned the protests. Those were called the, the Brooks Brothers riot. Right, um, right. And I don't know. I don't know if you know about this or for listeners, it was uh, a lot of Republican like campaign operatives were flown in or bust in or they just traveled to uh, the county where the recount was taking place and they protested outside of it. Um, I mean, a pretty actually savvy PR move. I think it's pretty interesting. I don't think nowadays you would really have to bust people in. <laughs> I think enough people <laughs> would come be on their off. own. Yeah, that they'll they'll come in on their own. Um, but just as an aside, like, what kind of protest with people wearing Brooks Brothers is really? <laughs> I don't know. It's like, is that really intimidating? Like, what? Like, have you ever tried to run in their slacks? <laughs> like, or in a suit like that? Well, Brooks terrible. Brothers went under. They were uh, a casualty of the pandemic, I believe. So. They're, they're not going to have that now. It, might, it must have to be a Target or <laughs> some other company. <laughs> what do you think of the possibility of it going all the way to the Supreme Court? And now that there is a conservative majority, a strong conservative majority, that they could rule in favor of Trump? I think it's incredibly likely. No doubt it's there are going to be instances where um, votes are being contested on the state level and they're going to work their way up the, the federal courts to the Supreme Court. It would be fascinating, and it is potentially likely that you could have the Supreme Court effectively ruling on swing states, right? If there's a, if there are, if there's active litigation over the vote in every swing state, <clears throat> and each of them is important. I mean, if I were on the court, I would definitely want to hear it. Uh, they grant it cert, and then, uh, and then they hear the case. I mean, it's quite possible that you could have the Supreme Court ruling on. The merits of the vote in Pennsylvania, in Wisconsin, already happened in Wisconsin, um, in Florida. And from there, I think you're likely to see people just either doubt the legitimacy of the Electoral College or the, the court. They would be like, well, well, that's the thing is, is with Bush v. Gore, the court had a level of credibility that it no longer has. And I mean, I hope it doesn't come to that, but I think you're right. It's like if there's a chance that either party could could see victory and it's close, it's hard to imagine it not going to some, you know, going to the highest court in the land. But it would have to be very close. Like Bush v. Gore came down to a few hundred votes. And that's the difference between, okay, we'll count this bucket of potential votes. We won't count this bucket. So it does have to be a certain level of of a tight race for that to be possible. Yeah, it definitely does have to be a tight race. Like if, if uh, you know, and I think that's why um, the Biden campaign especially is really gunning for a landslide so that there's no window for contest. Um, I know that state Democratic parties are even telling people who have mail-in ballots, like, don't use the mail, go drop it off, put on a mask, go drop it off. 
um, so that there's no doubt about the counting and so that there's no, you know, legal chicanery or whatever. Something that I've been really thinking about um, <clears throat> separate from the vote is that the Constitution itself, again, not a lawyer, but just looking it over, the Constitution itself says that the legislature of each state can apportion the electors. So theoretically, I wonder if the legislatures could just say like, well, thanks for the votes, but <laughs> we're good, you know? Right. Yeah, I mean, and then they send their own slate of electors. Now that would be to the benefit of, um, of uh, the Republican party because a lot of the state legislatures are held. Because the they're the ones currently in power. Yeah, they hold they hold majorities in the legislatures of Pennsylvania, Michigan, Wisconsin, Florida, Arizona, um, most certainly Texas. I mean, any of the states that we consider swing states, uh, and I'm just looking at the map now, North Carolina, they also hold. Um, so, you know, if the courts were to decide that, yes, it is legal for the legislature to kind of just ignore the vote and apportion the electors however they want, um, or apportion or send send to DC their own slate, um, determined by however they figure it out. Uh, it's quite possible that the court could say, "Yeah, that's completely legitimate." And then we have a, we we step back in time to a situation where like state legislatures mean a lot more than they do now. Um, right. Well, this gets to another thing I wanted to ask you, which is if you got to make the rules and rewrite the Constitution, would you make it a direct democracy? Or do you think there is a legitimate role that the Electoral College should play in the future of America? Mm, man, that's its own podcast. <laughs> um, that's its own hour. But I would probably lean more toward having a direct election. Um, you know, prioritizing the popular vote. That doesn't mean that you just have a straight up like a referendum where it's like it must, you know, it's 50% plus one, um, plus one person. But, you know, you can set maybe some some boundaries like, okay, it needs to be, a you know, 52% or 53 or whatever. Um, generally, the idea of an electoral college, I mean, while I understand the idea behind it. It's that we originally started as a union of different states that were all kind of. Yeah. Federated. And you send your representative because you're not going to have like they didn't have Internet. It's, it wasn't easy for everyone to vote. Of like, course. Yeah. Of course. I totally get it. And I understand why it existed. Um, we live in a different society. Uh, and and, you know, the the spirit of the law was for everyone well, everyone within demographic limits, um, but, uh, you know, for certain people to have a voice in public life. And we have ways of doing that now um, that don't necessitate our creating a slate on a state level that's ratified by the state legislature that's then sent to, you know, we, we can we can have a popular vote. Well, let um, me ask but, you about yeah. that, because I, I always thought it was interesting that in the U.S., it's really up to the states how they go about the democratic process of voting, how they count their ballots, when they're allowed to count them. And to me, that seems like it's a potential strength and a potential weakness. It's a strength because it's not like you just have one system that could be corrupted. And if it's corrupted, it's corrupted entirely, um, you know, because there's all these different states with their own systems. But on the other hand, 
it's not like you can have one stable system for the whole country. You might have some states that have a more corrupt process or they have some degree of voter suppression. And uh, so I guess, like, do you think it's a good policy decision that we have states with their own processes or should we have a national process like more like Australia or Canada? I mean, I, I lean toward more of a national process because I think that the negatives that arise from having um, voting determined just on the local level, the sort of uh, capture of those, uh, of really it's the secretaries of state offices. Um, you know, each state has its own secretary of state and that person runs elections for the state. Uh, and it's an immensely powerful position within each state, but uh, it does potentially lead to some abuse, I think, to put it lightly. Um, so I generally lean more toward, you know, hey, maybe we should have proportional representation. We should get rid of single member districts so that I'm not just voting for one person to get first past the post. Um, you know, it eliminates all of the strategic voting nonsense that you have to do. And generally, I support the idea of having actually mandatory voting where like in Australia, where they mail you a ballot and you have to fill out the ballot. Even if you fill out the ballot and say, fill in a bubble that says, I hate all of these people or fill in a well, ballot. You can says, actually send back a blank ballot. Like as long as you put your name, like I got it, I sent it back, it's blank. Even that's okay. I, 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 and, and what you're doing there is you're showing at least consideration is that you have to consider the idea of being involved. I don't think anyone in this country should get away with um, with not even having to consider the process. Now, some people might say, you know, I don't want to vote because I don't want to be forced into making an expression that I don't want to do. That's fine. Mm -hmm. And I think that there actually are free speech um, defenses or arguments that you can make to say, I don't believe in compulsory voting. I don't believe in compulsory voting. I believe that you at least have to give some consideration. And maybe the consideration means, okay, you have to mail in your empty ballot. Right. Well, there's um, this there's this famous quote that says, the devil is in the defaults, meaning whatever yeah. the default thing is, that's going to have way more power than anything else that's optional. So if the default was that everyone has to at least submit an empty ballot or, you know, they can vote for whichever ones they want to vote for, then you'll just have so much more participation than you would you would otherwise yeah absolutely but you know that also they will have more more participation hopefully it's informed right i mean there's you know each one of these proposals are just a piece of the entire pie that really needs to be done to, to accomplish electoral reform but on the other side so we were talking about you know is it good to have it segmented or is it you know done on a state by state level or is it good to have it done on a national level i lean toward national but here are the benefits of the state level. In 2018, uh, Maine, uh, by, by statewide referendum, instituted ranked choice voting. Uh, and Massachusetts will probably, it's on, the, it's on the ballot for mass this year. And what that does is, um, so instead of a, a ballot where you just have to choose one person or the other, um, you know, the Democrat, the Democratic nominee or the Republican nominee, uh, you can rank them. And whoever gets the most prime rankings. So let's say, you know, the person that out of five people, the person that you want to serve in office or to win gets, um, you know, five votes. If you put, if you lay right, it's like it's weighted based choice, on which number. Yes. It's, 
Exactly. It's weighted. And so that that way you actually do get a better reflection of where people's senses are on different political issues. You aren't going to have people that are like, well, I'm voting for the Democrat because the, the Republicans, I don't know, evil or something. But really, I'm a green. Well, that, like, that no. may actually create more consensus, too, because it's like, well, at least my third choice won. Like it wasn't. <laughs> you know, yeah, it's, no, it's not. Totally. Binary. I actually I mean, this actually happened in the. Um, this is getting real parochial here, but in the mass, the Massachusetts fourth congressional district primary. Okay. So for everyone listening, uh, the representative there was, uh, Joe Kennedy, the third, uh, the grandson of, of Robert Kennedy. And he ran against Ed Markey, the incumbent democratic Senator. Uh, he lost. Um, so he did not run for his own seat in Congress or, or, uh, in the house. Uh, he ran for the Senate. He lost. So people were running uh, to replace him in the House. And the it's a pretty solidly Democratic district, as is most of Massachusetts. Um, and what ended up happening is the guy who won the Democratic nomination, uh, Jake, I think, Auchincloss, I think is how you pronounce it, Auchincloss, um, the city councilor from Newton, Massachusetts, he, um, he won with something like 23 percent of the vote out of all of the people involved in the primary. And I think the next person, Jesse Mermel, got something like maybe like 22. I mean, she was right wow. behind it. It was so close. And so guaranteed, he probably would not have won if ranked choice voting had been in place because both his second and third place challengers split the opposition to him. Um, right, now, obviously, right. it's not totally fair to say this guy wouldn't have won, you know, who knows. But with ranked choice, you're at least getting a better sense of where the electorate is. You don't have to divine people's motivations and their strategies. Yeah, it's, it's not like you need like a, a group of super fans that's going to go your way. It's more like you just have to be the favorite candidate when you tally up everyone. Yeah, you're what most people can agree upon. You're not You're not objectionable. You're not like this horrible swamp monster or whatever. Um most people like you or would be eh, for you. Yeah. And I think that's generally the way to go. Yeah. Well, let's get into the future scenarios now. And let's start with the worst case scenario. So many people have talked about the specter of violence. And Australia just stated a travel advisory warning for the United States for the first time in decades, where they say there's potential civil unrest in the U.S., as a result of the current election. So I want to get a sense from you of what is your worst case scenario? Could there be some major foreign attack on election day? Could there be major protests? Could some nefarious actor be planning something that is just ready for election day or sometime in that crucial week? Um, what, are you, what are you thinking about when it comes to the worst case scenario? Worst case scenario. You know, I think um, the worst case scenario is that you have that slim, uh, you know, no one really has a, not saying a slim victory wouldn't even do it justice. We're talking like people are counting crumbs, like mm -hmm. at the, you know, at the voting tables, just trying to piece together who's winning. Um, there's so much confusion and there's so much uh, just chaos with all the court cases. People can barely keep track of it. People start to lose faith in the institutions in the long run. And then in the short run, 
man, this will put us on a watch list. Um, <laughs> I think in the short run, I think, I mean, realistically, in the short run, the, the worst case scenario that I can imagine wouldn't be foreign intervention. I think you would have people who are emboldened to live in uh, a, an echo chamber, whether that's like super far right or super far left. I'm not both sizing it, but you can get both of those proclivities, on, you know, mm-hmm. where anywhere on the spectrum. Um, you get people who start uh, engaging in um, paramilitary or terrorist action that reminds me that's that would be less like, uh, you know, Mujahideen, right? Or like less like Taliban, like cells, probably more like something like in Northern Ireland, where you just have um, mm. political violence and you have people... Uh, maybe coming in from the exurbs into cities to cause trouble during demonstrations, kind of like what we've already seen, but just worse and more frequent. But I think the worst case scenario is that you you have people, um, I mean, horribly, but you'd have people uh, engaging in like the kind of acts that you you saw during like the troubles. Right. Um, so, you know, very isolated bombings, um, potential street violence uh, beyond just people with, you know, bats or something like that. I mean, like people with guns. Yeah. Um, no, I, I totally agree that there is likely to be incidents on both sides of violence on election day, regardless of what happens. There are going to be some instances that get publicized where someone on the left did something horrible, someone on the right did something horrible. But to me, it does seem like there is the potential for greater political unrest and more rioting, looting, that sort of thing, if there's a Trump victory than if there's a Biden. And I think that uh, to me, it might just be something about the psychology of if you're a conservative person, it's unlikely you're going to go out like guns blazing just because conservatives tend to be more rule following. It's almost like their their flaw is following the rules too much where it becomes fascism. Whereas on the left, like it becomes anarchy if it goes too far to the left. And to me, that does seem like there could be more unrest if there's a Trump victory. I'm curious if you have the same intuition. Yeah, I think that you would see probably more. Um, and I generally agree there, you know, conservatives tend to follow rules. They tend to, you know, fall in line more. They tend to be more conservative in their approach to dealing with institutions, which means not rocking the boat. Um, but I could see there being more visible street agitation if if uh, President Trump were to win re-election, um, if if Biden were to win, uh, Vice President Biden were to win um, election, I would see any violence coming from the right as probably being much more uh, by um, not necessarily like orchestrated, but isolated. And I think that there would be probably a resurgence of people engaging in militia activity. So you would have people doing very intimidating, violent. Well, I don't, you know, violent is a, is again, a very broad word. And, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to downplay what's happening here. I think you would have people engage in showings of force um, on the right where you have people, you know, I, I don't know what they're called, probably something like Patriot Guard or whatever. I don't know if that's mm-hmm. a thing, but people showing up with weapons and just being probably very silent, but just menacing with, right. you know large weapons um, or potentially being intimidating beyond just being, you know, silent and holding a gun, uh, you know, verbally intimidating or potentially physically intimidating. Um, but I don't see, 
I don't see really riots happening from the right wing. I tend to see much more coordinated uh, shows of force rather than right. very more, kind of like all the all the Trump trucks surrounding that Biden bus in Texas. Yeah, oh, man, that was <laughs> that kind of show of force. Was, yeah, I I mean honestly, yes, something more like that where people are using trucks or guns or, um, you know you're decked out right, right rather than right. people just kind of going out into the streets and causing chaos um or you know a more classic <laughs> a yeah. more classic expression of civil unrest now this um, is a little bit personal but do you have a plan if there is some sort of violence i'm not going to disclose my location but <laughs> i am probably in an area that's very unlikely to experience it um and just as a general rule i always try to keep a lot of food um, around and I like camping um, and so I'm generally pretty proficient with like dealing without power a lot um, so I'm not really that worried and you know I, I, I'm not too concerned yeah I, no I, I'm with you I think it's a definitely an outside chance but at the same time it's always good to be prepared but but hey but but to give some red meat to people listening here <laughs> so they, you know um, I do normally live in DC and I am not in DC right now. And one of the reasons for that is, uh, um, one, a very dickish landlord, but no, <laughs> um, uh, kind of, kind of kidding. Um, no, but uh, you thought it would reasons... be a good idea to go somewhere a little off the beaten path for this, this crucial time period. Yeah. I mean, I was already kind of relocated for COVID, but, um, but I was thinking about returning back and a, a, a mentor of mine uh, who has a house in DC. I was talking with him and I was like, Hey, should I come back in November? And he said, no, what do you do? <laughs> Why? <laughs> Why did you come back? There's nothing you're, you know, you don't have to do any work here. Um, you're not going to be able to do any of the standard work that you do here. Uh, maybe if you want to see your friends, sure. Um, but you're putting yourself at risk. I mean, he, uh, from what I remember speaking with him, he was potentially going to board up his windows so I don't know. Yeah. Um, I mean, I'm in LA yeah. and I'll tell you, there's a lot of businesses with boarded up windows around here. Yeah. I know that, um, students at George Washington university. Uh, so that's like in generally right in the center of DC, um, near like the state department buildings and all that, uh, uh, GW students have gotten an email saying, go get extra food. Consider mm -hmm. like plan for, you know, plan as you would for like a power outage or for a hurricane or something so that you don't have to go out onto the streets. I was in DC, uh, for the last, uh, election and the last, uh, inauguration. And I'll tell you during the inauguration, especially it got not that crazy. I mean, it, there wasn't violent, there wasn't violence to persons. Um, windows got smashed up and there was a lot of, you know, demonstrations and there was a lot of property damage. It's probably going to be worse this time. No matter who wins, really. Right. I really believe that. Yeah. Well, let's flip it around for the best case scenario. I'm curious from your perspective, if there is a landslide on the Biden side or the Trump side, do you think there could be a remaking of the American consensus, especially if it's enough of a landslide where it's not like the new president can just talk to their base? There's now more of a consensus among all Americans what are your thoughts on this potential best case scenario and how much it could really heal the country? Best case scenario.
you know, the best case scenario will still be bittersweet because you might have resolution, but you're still going to have division. So even if, let's say, President Trump won re-election, uh, people in coastal states still aren't going to accept that. I mean, the, even if he won by a landslide, it would be shocking, but you still have a, a not, instant, it, not insignificant number of people who would say, well, this is bullshit. He doesn't stand for me. I don't believe in, you know, he, culturally, this doesn't reflect me or my experiences or my worldview. Uh, and so, you know, I guess it really depends how definitive of a landslide, if we're talking electoral, if we're talking popular vote, I think if it were the popular vote for both of them, uh, you know, popular, popular vote landslide either way, then that's a pretty good indication of people being, um, of there being a cultural shift either way, um, kind of like with, you know. Let's say that Biden has a huge landslide, popular and electoral, and the Democrats win the Senate and the House. Would you see that as a potential path to healing the divide where, let's say a year from now, we look back on these years and we think, wow, I can't believe it was so politically charged back then. Or is that, you know, that's a future that's maybe too, too rosy to, to hope for? Yeah, I still think it's too rosy. Um, I think that there would have to be some major cataclysmic event that would require um, concerted and dedicated swift action to resolve that would bring people together. Kind of like maybe responding to some kind of virus. Uh, no. <laughs> um, hey, man, We already tried that. Now we got to try alien attack. That's the only one yeah, left. Geez. I know. Let's hope it's not like the signs aliens, though. That sucked. Yeah. That movie. Sorry. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Well, at least we, we got lots of water, that? so. Yeah. No, yeah. Oh, yeah. It was water the entire. Oh, God. What a trash movie. Um, I, I am yeah. a little bit more hopeful than you when it, when it comes to the best case. I think that particularly if there's a large Biden landslide and if he's actually able to get things done in the Senate, if there's a blue win in the Senate, and we pass things like healthcare, you know, healthcare for all. I could see that being something that ties the nation together. Where even if you were a total Trump supporter and couldn't stand Biden or whatever, if you now have good healthcare, I could see that moving to, towards more of a consensus. But I agree, it's not going to be right after the election. It's going to take time, and I think it'll it'll even require Biden to deliver on a few fronts. Well, see, here's what you're saying is a really interesting one. And I actually I agree more than uh, more than I might have let on. And I guess it's probably because I didn't think of it didn't come to top of mind. But um, if you give people uh, using politics, if you give people um, a better life, like if you affect their material life, uh, they will overlook a lot of the cultural issues, you know, um, so if someone is worrying and freaking out about, hey, like I, I need to get a tooth pulled and, you know, I, 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 I've lost so many of my teeth. I need dentures. It would be great to just have, you know, basic dental care. Right. And someone gives you that you might be able to overlook some of the other stuff that you would normally that would normally just get you fired up um, stuff that's, you know, uh, cultural issues. Right. Um, right. And so, yeah, I think that if you actually do really. You know, I think healthcare is a great one. Um, healthcare, I think cleaning up the environment generally would help a lot of people. The the pandemic is a massive one that's staring everyone in the face. I mean, 
I would like to be able to go back to a restaurant eventually. I'd like to be able to, I used to fly a lot. That's not happening. Um, it would be nice to go back. And if someone could do that, and if someone could deal with this crisis effectively and swiftly, yeah, they, I mean, they probably won my vote, obviously. Well, it's the classic, be, like, more discerning, but. are you better than you were the last four years? Like, that's the classic question of how voters think about yeah. whether the president did a good job or not. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that, okay, so you, maybe you've won me over a little bit more on the, the landslide thing is that uh, it might give people a little bit more, there might be the ability in the current system to implement changes that actually help people on, you know, mm -hmm. dinner table issues, I think is what they're called. Right. Things that people talk about when they're having dinner um, that would actually shift people toward maybe glossing over the more cosmetic, you know, the circus issues, the stuff that gets played on CNN or you right, know, right. CNN or Fox, or it's like, oh God, who gives a fuck? Um, <laughs> you know, I don't blame people for tuning out of politics when for so long their day-to-day -day lives have not been improved by it. Yeah. And so, so if you can't improve it, then yeah. That's great. Well, let's bring it home with the most likely scenario. So you already shared your map. I shared my map. How would you summarize your most likely scenario of how it's going to play out over the next week, two weeks? Most likely scenario. I think we're going to see instances where mail-in ballots are going to be counted. At first, it's at first what's going to happen is the votes themselves, at, like at the polling places, are going to be really close. And using that, President Trump will probably prematurely declare victory in a number of states, maybe enough to give him the college, the Electoral College, but there will still be mail-in ballots to be counted. And then there's going to be court cases um, about that. And the uncertainty is going to lead people to um, potentially get engaged in civil unrest. Um, my hope is that there would be enough of a uh, enough votes and enough mail-in ballots that get counted that uh, Biden would win the presidency. I support him. Um, but, the, you know, the most likely situation is that even if he does, he will preside over already existing extreme polarization. Um, and people after the election are still going to contest the court results a little bit. Uh, and, you know, he's going to get through it, but um, there's not going to be really any reckoning for our leaky system. That's yeah. kind of not everything is going to get fixed overnight. No, no, not at all. And there are going to be people that are going to be pissed off about the court decisions no matter what. And they're going to view them as illegitimate. Um, and, you know, maybe you're going to have something that's like a, a few Bush v. Gores, right? It's like that decision serves as the template in a bunch of other states. And who knows? You know, who knows which it all depends on the fact patterns of the cases. And, uh, and you could end up with some states where it was trending one way and it stops and the trend no longer exists, you know, and the vote is allocated, the electors are allocated to, um, someone that you wouldn't expect. Yeah. Yeah. I would agree with a lot of your most likely scenario. I also think it's not going to be decided on election night. So we're not going to know by the night of November 3rd. Um, however, I think that 
it's going to become more and more obvious that Biden is winning and not by a small margin. And I think mm-hmm. that is going, even though Trump is never going to fully concede, I think at a certain point, he'll make the decision to cut his losses and do pretty much what you said earlier, which is, you know, this election was rigged. There's a lot of problems, but, you know, we're going to come back in 2024. We're going to win it back. And, you know, you haven't heard the last of me kind of a kind of a thing to say on the on the way out. Yeah. And keep in mind that, you know, there are always different factions of the parties and President Trump leads a hard conservative part of the uh, maybe a nationalist, you know, maybe not hard conservative, but a more nationalist um, wing of the party. Uh, And there are other factions in the party that that um, respond to certain interests and those interests might find it more valuable for there to be a peaceful transition of power than it is for them to continue having President Trump in the office. I'm thinking particularly of a lot of like uh, big industry, right? Like a lot of people put their money in the United States because uh, we've never missed a debt payment and we are incredibly consistent and when we aren't, that's when money starts leaving the country. And there are a lot of people that are making a lot of money off of people putting a lot of money in the country. Right. So I think that's, say, you know, that's one of the most salient points that I've heard. And I've, I've heard you say that before, which is that people like stability, people in power, people with money, they like stability, they want stability, they're going to do everything they can to maintain stability. And Trump doesn't exist in a vacuum and neither does Biden. So even if they personally may want to keep fighting to the bitter end, regardless of what the fallout is, the people who have the real power are going to want a stable transition. So I I totally agree with you. I think that's what's going to happen. I don't think it's going to be as extreme as what Bill Maher says. But I also think you're right that we're not going to fix all of our problems overnight. And it's going to take time. It's going to take people seeing their actual lives change in a positive way for us to have the sort of consensus that we need uh, to really, you know, do great things for the future of America. Yeah, I think if there's one thing that may come out of this from the most likely scenario is that if there is any contest about votes in any particular state, uh, I guess my hope is that, and I think it's likely, is that more and more people are going to see the electoral college as being um, vestigial and just as being this sort of anachronism. And there is already a policy underway, or not a policy, there's already a movement underway. Um, It's called the National Popular Vote Compact, where a number of states, usually states with, usually blue states, to be honest, um, but states with larger populations have ratified either legislation or through a referendum. However, they have agreed to join a compact which says that whoever is the winner of the national vote, that state will apportion its electors to the winner of the national vote. So let's say Trump won the national popular vote by two million or whatever, then California, if that compact were in effect, California would say, okay, he's got our 53, 55 electoral votes. Um, I think that that might gain a little bit of ground if there's any kind of electoral college snafus this go around is people are going to go like, wait, what? Like in 2000, it's been, it was a clusterfuck and it's always been a clusterfuck going 
since 2000, I mean, since I can really remember and since I was following presidential elections, there's always been this. It does seem like we have a really outdated system that needs a lot of care and attention. And maybe in the future, we'll all be voting uh, on the blockchain with totally secure, um, you know, decentralized voting wherever you are. And it's one national system. It's really robust and it's more in line with the popular vote, but we still make sure that, you know, more rural states have, have a say. Yeah, um, of course. Yeah. I mean, it, it is, I think, increasingly likely that that's going to happen within our lifetimes, certainly. Um, but who really knows? I don't know. There is yeah. part of me, though, that, you know, romantically wants to hold on to the idea of elector, because I think that that's a really cool title. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, I really hope that, like, each state's electors get like cool rings or something that they like they get like, know, like a, like a, a varsity jacket they can wear and it's like retro oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah like <laughs> wyoming team 2020 <laughs> you know something like that um no i kind of like the ring idea maybe like a staff and like a robe but that's just <laughs> that's just my style yeah well we are living in interesting times and this is not only something that affects america the whole world is watching what's going to happen. It is one of the most betted on elections in history, one of the most closely watched elections. There's more votes that have been counted before the election uh, than ever before. And, you know, part of that's because of the pandemic. But I think it's also because of how important people feel that this election is. So, you know, I look forward to seeing the early results. And for listeners, we will be releasing a post-game episode once we see the early ballots. And we're not going to know definitively, most likely, but we're going to know if it's close or not. And that's uh, that. Those are two very different future scenarios, whether it's a really close race or whether it's a landslide. Absolutely. Yeah, I look forward to that episode. Awesome. Well, Brett, thank you so much. Uh, and yeah, we'll talk to you again soon. Yeah, anytime, man. Take care. The past, the present, and the future. If you enjoy thinking about the future as much as we do, we invite you to join the HTF community. Simply go to hencethefuture.com, scroll to the bottom of the homepage, and add your email address next to the button that says, Enter the Void. 
You can also follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Hence the Future. And most importantly, we encourage you to please rate and review the show in Apple Podcasts if you haven't done so already. Our team reads and appreciates every single review. Thank you again for listening to today's episode and for staying curious. And we'll see you next week.